Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco and Lit Hub Radio, episode 197, East of Eden. Today, we take on John Steinbeck's classic epic novel, East of Eden, which centers on the Salinas Valley of California and tells the story of several generations of the Trask and Hamilton families. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We are Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, our novelist and critic, Todd Goldberg, and essayist and radio personality, Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hey! Hello. I'm back. Ryder is back. Ryder has been on an epic road trip. The last time... Well, Julia just saw Ryder, but the last time Ryder was home was, what, five weeks ago? Uh, four weeks ago. Yeah, July 1st we left, and we're recording this on the 27th. So. Oh, my God. So yeah. you might go there, and there might be squatters living in your house. <laughs> well, I have friends staying at my house, so yes, they, they just might refuse to leave. <laughs> so where in the world have you been? Uh, everywhere. So we started in Northern California, where I grew up for 4th of July, on my parents' property, camping out there. Then we went to the Eastern Sierras, which was wonderful. And we camped there for a while, like four four days and four nights in the Eastern Sierras, which I had never been to. I, I, I grew up exploring the Western Sierras, but I'd never been to the Eastern Sierras. And it was gorgeous and amazing. And we had a bear encounter, which was awesome and so thrilling for my son, Indy, to, you know, be they, terrified of a bear. To face death. <laughs> to stare yeah. into the eyes of a Well, it, it was the worst because we actually predator. watched it. It, it, it came into our camp. We had two bear encounters in the same day, broad daylight. The first one I missed. Um, and the second one, we were literally carrying back uh, the box because we had left the box in our car that's labeled survival, which includes the bear spray and the uh, so, and the uh, air horn that you're supposed to use to scare bears. So when we the heard, box when we marked had, irony. First, exactly. So after the first bear encounter, we were like, oh, we should we should probably get the survival box. We're like, okay. So we were carrying the cooler between me and my wife with Indy trailing behind it. We had the cooler between us and the survival box on top of it. And our friends who we were camping with started screaming from the campsite, it's in our campsite. So I, you know, drop everything, grab the air horn and like go over there and they scrambled up onto a boulder so i joined them on the boulder and we just watched this bear go through our garbage that we had left out we had like one of these little portable yeah so (laughs) stupid to leave our garbage out uh and then you know once it ate the applesauce that was in there and i'm sitting there blowing the air horn out of trying to scare it away and it just doesn't care you know (laughs) bears don't give a fuck uh and then it just went into the next campsite and this is the horrifying part we just watched it with one hand just like claw open the tent like just go like and rip open the tent because our the people in the campsite next to us had left soap in one of their bags. So the, I mean, but you just want, it was like so easy. It was like exactly what you fantasize or you like have nightmares about at night, right? Is that a right. bear is just gonna like rip into your tent so easily? That's exactly what I was like. Ugh. Anyway, uh, I you know I it, I find it exciting. It kind of kept us on our edge, and we slept there that night, and it was fine. And I'm glad you know now my son has like a bear encounter, you know. Already, it was like only day two of our trip. So, and like, we let, yeah, we, what, what do you do after that? Like, well, let's <laughs> let's find a puma, <laughs> let it let it chase Indy around. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you know it's good for toughen him up. Like he's, he's been bragging about it every everywhere we go. It's like you know, I had a bear encounter, and it was awesome. Um, yeah, and then we headed into the Southwest. We had a night in Vegas when it was a hundred and 
like 10 degrees went to the zion bryce area and went which hiking around beautiful. there beautiful which so is beautiful. gorgeous yeah. yeah and then we went into colorado we had a friend who was managing a hotel in colorado for the summer and that was gorgeous silverton colorado just amazing uh, we went whitewater rafting we did some dune bugging and then we're just like since then since we left the west it was mostly about seeing people like friends um and you know once you get once you get past kansas like everything's a lot closer together so we we're able to like just see friends like one after another, including Julia up in uh, Connecticut, which was awesome. We got to walk around and uh, put put her daughter on my one wheel. Yeah, there was a lot of risk taking. <laughs> little life, th- little life threatening <laughs> one wheel experience. Um, yeah, man, it's been a blast. And now we're on our way back. We're in Atlanta right now um, at a lake. Our friends have a lake house outside of Atlanta, so we're here. And my son got to jet ski today for the first time. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, what it's the... been a very adventurous summer, and like, you know, luckily Indy's sick, so so he'll actually remember this, yeah. I think. And I, you know, it's the summer vacation. But I mean, I feel like I talked about this trip on the show when I was first dreaming about it mm-hmm. last, yeah. like, last fall. I feel like I was like, you know what I'm gonna do? <laughs> a road trip. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just like, we're doing it, you know. And it's been hard. Like, it's been. It's been really tough. Like, you know, our son drives us crazy. We drive him crazy. My wife's been producing a film this entire time. So she's like been literally doing Zoom meetings. I released the music video while we were here. So I was doing interviews with magazines and promoting on social media. So like a lot, it's just been a lot. Like, you know, and if you ask my wife, like it's probably too much. (laughs) But I am just so happy that we did it, you know. You're going to look back on it. This is is something that you'll keep forever. And yeah, I, it's I, exhausting. I can't imagine that Ryder would have overprogrammed a vacation. That, that, Ridiculous. That yeah, it doesn't seem like something. That's not the Ryder Strong. I, I, I actually know. don't understand Plus, how you did all that because now you're in Atlanta. You saw me a yeah. few days ago. Yeah. I don't understand. I need a map with timelines um, another time because yeah. it's crazy. We've been driving. I mean, like, yeah, we've been driving a lot, you know, but, and, and, it's it's exhausting but luckily i've had some light beach reading you chose this John jesus christ oh my God. we could have done grapes of wrath what i you're bringing back so yeah. many memories for me so i've dr- gone cross-country twice and one of the times i read grapes of wrath which was which a, a perfect, perfect yeah cross-country book but not this not this one no <laughs> no and you know the thing about East of Eden. Um, so the copy that I'm holding up is the copy that I have had, well, as long as I can remember owning books, I've had this Which copy. Is the of same East of Eden. one I have that disintegrated. Yeah, I got the new one. Completely. Yeah, like this one's still like I must have bought this for high school or something like that, um, which is the first time I read it. But uh, it's um, it's 700 pages long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why did we take this is the first question I have for you guys. Why did we take a leisurely 5 months to read an 800 page book and then I read this thing in 5 days? Well, <laughs> so here's the difference. So East of Eden might be 700 pages long, but there's tons and tons of dialogue, not True. great dialogue, True. but there's tons and tons of dialogue. Whereas Middlemarch it's 800 pages describing furniture and fever hospitals. Um so I'm just it, saying, it, there's a middle ground here. Yeah, this this is not a quick read no. uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But you know what I also did, guys? So I I, I reread it, and then um, 
I was like, I I remember seeing the movie, I think. And I was like, no, I didn't see the movie. I actually watched the the miniseries that came out in the 80s when I was a kid that was like Eight Nights and Jane Seymour played um, the mom. Kathy. Kate. Yeah. Um, but this morning, I'd never seen it. I watched the East of Eden movie with James Dean in it. Yeah, I've never seen it either. How was it? It bears absolutely no resemblance to the book at all. <laughs> I kind of figured because when I found out that James Dean played Cal, yeah. I was what? like, but Cal's only in the book for like... Well, I mean, now I know he's actually in the book for a lot longer than yeah. I thought. But, like, Cal's sort of an af- – I mean, he is kind of the – ends up being the hero. But I was like, he's also only, like, 15. Yeah. Know? So James, the, the East know. of Eden movie that um, that made James Dean James Dean actually only encompasses literally the last three chapters of the book. Whoa. Okay. That's what I figured. Yeah. yeah. That's so weird. Okay. And so when people think about East of Eden based on the film, they, they have no – they don't know anything about the BDSM. For instance, <laughs> I forgot all. That's of that. not in there. By the way, I I've forgotten a, a ton of stuff in this book. Oh wait, so was this a reread for all of yes. us? Or Julia was. It was. No, okay. yeah. I read. So this. we all read yep. this before. Yeah. This is probably my third or fourth time reading this book, actually. Although oh I realized maybe I never finished it the third or fourth time because I thought the book ended with Samuel's death. So when I realized <laughs> that that happened and I still had four hundred more pages, right. I was like. Wow, there's a lot. Okay, there's a lot of going Yeah, there's still, definitely they're still those, in the east at that point. Yes, exactly. But the first, the first, the first three or four hundred pages, I've read so many times because there are sentences that are like ingrained in my brain, and I, you know, I don't know how much of that is just because it was like the first like important serious book I read when I was probably thirteen or fourteen. I think is when I read this book in high school, um, or if I've just read it so many times. Either way, like it was crazy how familiar. The first half of this All right, book was. So why don't you explain? We, cause we <laughs> have a lot to discuss. So we need yeah, a quickie so on the plot. Yeah. Um, Ryder, if you want to go for it. <laughs> yeah, sure. So it and opens... I'm going to go get groceries. And when you're <laughs> yeah. done, just blow that air horn and I'll be back. <laughs> All right. Well, it starts with a family in the East and it's uh, led by, well, actually, oh God. It starts with a description of the Salinas Valley okay, in Northern right. California. Yes, yes, it does. Okay, well, I'm uh, gonna. Okay, so basically, I don't like it. <laughs> there's two families. There's two families. There's the Hamiltons, which it, you know, it starts with this, the patriarch of the Hamiltons, which is Samuel Hamilton and his wife Liza, and they have nine children. And we get a very like sort of terse description of all nine kids, and then mm-hmm. it it's also telling the story of the Trask family, which begins in the East Coast, and it's centered on Cyrus, and he's this war, wannabe war hero who makes up a war history for himself and becomes somebody very important. And his two sons... Um, Cain and Abel. Uh, yeah, Adam, Adam and Charles. Uh, Adam listeners, and Charles. all you need to know is everybody whose name starts with a C is bad. And everyone yeah. whose name starts with an A is, is good. A. Is good, is angelic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so basically, it's a retelling of the Cain and Abel story. Three times. Um, three times. So, it fought, yeah, the Trask family. Is it three or is it just twice? Is it three? No, because Cyrus probably had a brother right, with a yeah. name that we don't know. Right. Alex. Right. Right. Okay. So, so they're. Right. So, the, eventually, Adam lives a life uh, of fighting the war and traveling the world as a hobo and being in jail. Uh, and this is all within the first hundred pages. Yeah. And Charles takes over the farm while his dad goes to Washington and becomes a um, 
a decorated war commander of some sort. And, and, you know, Charles always wants his father's affection. Adam could care less, but always has his father's affection. It's a very heavy-handed Cain and Abel story. Charles gets marked by a stone. The mark of Cain, guys. It's, it's on him. Adam, And then the, Adam comes back from his wanderings, and the two brothers live uneasily on the farm. And then eventually we, they save a woman who enter. is also enter Kathy, right. who is literally the devil, and, and, a demon woman, and, succubus. And you are awful. now, by the way, on page 300. Not even, not even. And we haven't even gotten to Salinas. I mean, except for a couple chapters on the Hamilton family, which you're constantly wondering, why are we reading about them? Uh, You know, we get their story a little bit. But finally, Adam, well, no, he marries uh, Kathy Kathy. against Charles' wishes. They get rich from their father. They get a bunch of money because their father dies, which happens twice in the book, too. People die and lots of of money just comes in. A lot of inheritances, yeah. A little, yeah, Deus Ex Machina, um, and then <laughs> and or beans, <laughs> and then Adam moves to Salinas with his two sons. Oh, because twins, twins. Uh, oh no, he moves there with his wife first, without her being pregnant, and then she is pregnant. When they, she doesn't want to go because she's evil, we, she is she's literally so evil. explained We're to gonna be evil. Get back- to her. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about and, Kathy. But before that, she also has hooked up with Adam's brother, oh, yeah. Charles. They have crazy right. monkey sex. Right. And Adam is in love with, with Kathy, even though he's blind and doesn't see her for who she really is. Right. He can't, the devil. He can't tell what any fucking moron could tell, which is that she's, right. she's no good. She's a witchy woman. And then Adam finally meets Sam Hamilton and uh, hires a Chinese cook named Lee. Oy vey. The three of them vey. Lee. form the central <laughs> friendship connection that ties a lot of the threads together in this in this book. And, um, and you know, that's really the part that I remembered the most and like thought of the most because, of course, there's the whole Tim Shoal passage, right. which we can talk Tim about. Kathy ends up having the babies birthed by Sam Hamilton. They're two boys. They eventually are named names, <laughs> Caleb and Aaron. And Adam and Lee raise them while Kathy shoots Adam and runs away to become a prostitute in Selena's proper. Marking Adam yet again Marking with the murder Adam, pain. Yeah. yeah. And she's got a scar on her forehead just like right. Charles's scar. So all she, the evil people murdered. And she runs. She she goes so far away. It's almost seven miles <laughs> Right. And then stays there forever. And stays there forever. She yeah. goes so far away. It's she goes to Salinas. And then we watch the twins grow up and deal with their intergenerational trauma. Yeah, I mean, really, it's like a crazy like. It, I, what I kept, I, I mean, this book is so weird. I just can't like, I can't like. I I really hated it reading it this time. The first couple hundred pages. Then I came around. Mm-hmm. I can't help but still have deep affection for this book. And I don't know why. Because even sitting here talking about the plot, it just feels strung along. Like, it, it's like the classic, like, the king died, then the queen died. There's no, like... And, like, the only thing that, that makes you feel like there's any sort of meaning to the plot is this heavy-handed allegory, biblical stuff. Right. And, I like, I was so, like, rolling my eyes... But it still kind of worked mm-hmm. by the end. I don't know. Like, I still kind of feel like, wow. You know, I don't. I, I don't know. Where are you guys? Where do you land on this book? Okay, do I you love have it. any? I, I'm really. Or I love your tortured existential <laughs> monologue. Yeah. Um. 
when I read this book, I was 19 and I loved mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I remembered, honestly, was one word and it was not Tim Schultz. It was Kathy. <laughs> Kathy oh. was so She just stood out captivating. to me. So. She's a great yeah. character. She's a great yeah, character. And is she or is she a horrible character? Because she's, well, she's so on the nose. She's so on oh the nose. So, but, okay, like, so here's where I'm standing right now. Um, after my second read, I definitely, I feel like it's the least subtle book I've ever read. Ever, <laughs> ever, <laughs> ever. There's no way to misinterpret but, this book, right? Because e- even like the biblical allegories, the characters are saying, well, like in the Bible with Cain and Abel. Like, like, you. <laughs> and then half the characters become religious just so yeah. they can tell you. Just you're, like, you're like, are you aware, by the way, that this is very similar to a story in the Bible? <laughs> Sam Hamilton's described with a beard and long hair, and then it's like, and his daughter got him confused with God and her mom. You're like, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> like, however, however, um, and the Kathy thing, I just, I can't wait to like dig into this, but... She's so insanely evil that I can understand why that would be a big eye roll for some people, but especially given when this came out, like, let's do it. This is like exorcist level, but she's never... She's never exercised. She's completely irredeemable. Yeah. She's complete... And she's completely unmotivated. Yeah. No reason to do anything other than money. And I kept thinking, like... I kept thinking of, like, great villainous characters, you know, like... Iago, right, is the one that I kept thinking of. It's like, and but even he's given a motivation, isn't it? I can't remember the backstory, but there's a there's a hint that that he was somehow crossed by Othello back in the day, and like there's there's at least the insinuation that he's evil with a purpose. Like, but it's like literally spelled out. Like she was born evil, and like the word psychopath psychopath. is not in the part. Yeah, but but that's what she is, and it's so. And, and like I was completely like, ugh, this is so one dimensional. This is awful. And then, yeah, her yeah. sections are the most yes. compelling, yes. right? Because so, it's a, it's like a, it's like a. It, I felt like it was um, uh, what's the Showtime show where you're watching the serial killer just Dexter. Like, be a ser- Dexter. It's like the pre- predecessor for Dexter when she's like just in a whorehouse, like you know plotting to murder people Mm -hmm. take over and get their money i was like well this is thrilling like this is fun to read so it ends up being the most exciting parts of the book plot wise right because it's but it's it's also just so it's ridiculous uh, but i I will say so there's two things that i was i was like these these facts are undeniable one is steinbeck is such an amazing writer so this feels like the best writer in the world went insane that's right yes yes yeah but it means that there are sentences and paragraphs there's this one i was going to underline it i didn't have a pencil and i didn't need to because i just remembered it for a whole week till this episode just talking about adam you know after the war how depressed he became the whole sentence is adam reduced his personality to a minus and i was like that's the best thing i've ever heard um so there's things like that everywhere and then Steinbeck is such an interesting person and you can tell he's like grappling towards these like liberal ideas, but mm-hmm. they're off or they're like weird or it's the wrong time. That's being very generous. But like there is a part where he's you can tell he's kind of like, 
hmm, maybe she's getting revenge for, you know, mm-hmm. all this sexual abuse. And then he's like, nah, she's just evil. <laughs> and, she's just and, no good. And so, like, yeah. it's there. As I was reading it, um, as I was reading her parts and the Lee parts um, and and the Irish stuff, I was just like, man, a million undergrad midterm papers have been written mm-hmm. about this book because yes, there's a absolutely. lot to deal with on a character level of, like, is this as messed up as it's reading right now? Or is he, like, actually shining the light in, like, a correct, correct to our 2021 eyes dimension? It's very mm-hmm. strange. So that kept me captivated. Um, but the writing is unbelievable at yeah. times. Like, unbelievable in both ways. Like, unbelievably incredible and then unbelievably ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had no memory of it being such a pot boiler. Like it, it's, oh, a, it's I a total soap opera. I had no memory of that. Oh yeah, at all. Yeah. Uh, and that's what keeps it going because, like, frankly, I could do without any of the Hamilton family stuff. Yeah, I don't give a shit. I don't care about Tom, Desi. They, they all blend together, and like, by the time you get that chapter where which one is it? Tom kills himself or Will? I was like, what is? Why do I care about these people? I you just don't. don't. <laughs> I don't. Like, I care about the Trasks because of the biblical stuff. Right. And then I care about Kathy because it's a full-on crime novel right. thrown in there. And there's all these lies and deceit. It's like so, yeah, soap operatic. It's wonderful. Uh, but to, to your point about the beautiful lines, there was a, a line that I underlined. And this is on, in my book. It's on page 567. Her face was young, perplexed pain. Wow. Like, what, a, what an amazing sentence that is. Like I've never, I've never thought to put those words together like that. Young, perplexed pain. Okay, I got he another is, one. He is the he is the best at like the 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 two sentence character description that tells you everything you need to know about this person. Uh, yes. it's like it's like screenwriting. I actually mm. realize now that like, oh my god, this is like a master class on how to introduce a character and screw it in because he'll do it in like a paragraph like that section as much as i just talk shit about the hamiltons in the beginning when he does like all nine hamilton children in a cup you're like mm-hmm. whoa whoa like each one of these could have their own novel and he just is able to toss them off and like feel like they're completely fleshed out characters even though you only get a sentence or two yeah it's or the story incredible. where one of them He's like, and then she grew up, and then there's this like whole entire amazing part where she sells war bonds and goes into an airplane. Yeah. It has nothing it's, to do with is, anything, yeah. but I was no. just like so into yeah, it. It's a great little yeah. line. An- another yeah. incredible line that is just so simple. This is so Steinbeckian or whatever we're gonna dub it. Um, so Aaron is like he can't he's been told or like there's a bug in his ear that his mother might not be dead as he's been lied to um but he also like because rabbit told him yeah but believing all of that would make everyone who's ever respected a liar so Mm -hmm. it says aaron felt that something had to die his mother or his world so Mm -hmm. then he just decided she was dead and that's just so good so good Yeah. yeah the thing that um that has always stuck with me about the book is that if you grew up in California, at least if you grew up in California in the 1970s, maybe it's not the case now. The reason all this stuff feels so familiar, writer, is that whenever you had a standardized test, they used something from East of Eden, like as the reading <laughs> comprehension right. part. You're right. You're right. So what? it was, yeah. So start, passages. every yeah. single time there was any kind of reading comprehension standardized test for anything in California in the 1970s and 80s, it was from East of Eden or Grapes of Wrath. 
because there's these big dense paragraphs and yeah. you have to comprehend what they're talking about. Yeah. And with yeah. character setting and plot all in the same paragraph, you have to, you know, comprehend that. So as I was reading it again, I was like, oh yeah, like this, uh, the reason it seems familiar to me other than having read it before is um, the feeling of, of utter pain and suffering of an open blue book in front of me. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, <laughs> But it's, the the other side of it too is there's so much California history in the second half of the book. Yeah. Um, that again, like if you grew up in California, is just like it's the, in Northern California specifically is just so much hammered into you about Salinas and Monterey and yeah. the farming yeah. and the missions and all that shit. Um, but I gotta tell you, like the fascinating shit for me is like. When they're trying to figure out how to freeze vegetables, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is actually kind of fascinating to me. Like, <laughs> That's how you know you're old. Yeah. It's like, like oh, mm, how did they freeze lettuce? I, I, I actually <laughs> truly, more about ice. <laughs> I truly enjoyed the automobile passage, like when the guy comes out to fix the automobile. <laughs> because it was so weird. And, like, was, you know, I'm sure as a kid I found that section boring, but it was like, right. That must have been so weird to have these machines making all this noise. And I just love like the like the post officer is like, ugh, these things are coming all they're gonna be yeah. all over the place. You won't have horses anymore. And I was like, Oh, that's right. There used to be horses everywhere. Right. Like that must have been so and it was reminded of like I had this friend who's a pilot and whenever he Whenever we hang out with him, he always brings a drone, like because he's like you know a pilot. And he has, like, my brother has multiple a drone drones. And, he brings with him and like we were we were we were in Italy. It was actually his wedding. We were in Italy for his wedding, and like he brought out this drone and he put it you know down like we're all having like uh, drinks or whatever after like this was before the wedding, so it was just hanging out after a dinner or whatever. And he brings his drone out, and I look at it. I was so disgusted it was like this machine yeah. it was like you know it was like seeing it's i mean it, look, it's, terminator. To this it's a terminator drones like right. that's what i was looking at. and i was like this thing looks like this bug that's going to kill us all and he was like so proud of it i was so just dis- and that's what i felt like you know steinbeck was able to capture what it must have felt like to be on these rolling california hills and then have these sputtering awful machines yeah. come in well and like for us it's just like part of the background noise of normal life but it, it's also sort of true about like the the mechanization of farming that was happening yeah. post that period in that yep. part of california i just i wrote a little short story for uh an anthology that's coming out in a couple weeks that takes place in uh pajaro which is just, it's basically right right in the same place. And I, I did a bunch of research for this scene that's like, you know, half a page long, um, about that whole area where the, the trains were coming through and picking up all of the fruit and vegetables that were being farmed there, and how basically when Southern Pacific came through and, and, and moved the train lines, that that disrupted farming in America. And I was like, I'm learning so much from my own research. And I read East of Eden, and I was like, these poor people. Um, but well, I, the other thing though, just just says like I, I forgot the pot boiler part. I forgot the I forgot the profound BDSM aspect <laughs> of this book. I mean, listeners, I, I'm not even joking. There is a profound subplot about BDSM in this book. And I'm like, let her live. Let Kathy do her thing. And I forgot, like, also, so Kathy is just horribly evil, of course. And so this this very kind whore is going to give Kathy uh, her whorehouse. Faye is going to give Kathy her whorehouse. And on the night that Faye, like, tells her, 
I really appreciate the work that you do. I think you're really great at your job. I'd like you to eventually take over. What Kathy does to pay her back is torture her and poison her and make her yep. think she's having a nightmare. Like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, and then a very elaborate poisoning, which I appreciate. Very elaborate. A poisoning that. It's, I it's mean, enthralling. Like the, it's, a, it's a procedural from a villain's <laughs> point of view. It's like Breaking Bad, you know? You're like so like just – it's a real page turner in the middle of – you know, and, it, and it's necessary in this book. Yeah. Without that, this book would be really slow. Yeah. yeah. But you're like really kind of like, oh my god, what's going to happen? I can't believe she's doing that. And it just keeps going darker and yeah. darker. Kathy's super dark. And what I, what I remember too is that in the miniseries when I was a kid, she's played by Jane Seymour – and as she's an older character, she's racked by horrible arthritis. And this image of Jane Seymour in the miniseries with these hands that are just gnarled claws. Fantastic. Has, Demon claws. Has always stuck with me. Like, that's my fear. Like, I'm always, like, like I stretch my fingers. I don't get Jane Seymour's hands. So I think that, oh, man. So I'm trying to think about Kathy on a feminist level, which is hard. Um, <laughs> Because I think the obvious thing to go to is that she's Eve and she's like corrupting everyone. But that is actually not where this is going biblically. Because mm. as readers, maybe we should have spelled it out for you. Her name is spelled with a C. <laughs> and I, I do think that this book, you know, it's got something going on with the intergenerational trauma that is the point of the book in both family threads. Like, right. the Hamiltons mm -hmm. start happy, and then shit really goes wrong for about half of them. And then the Trasks have to work so hard to just be psychologically okay. Um, and Kathy's just a part of that line. Like, it's, she's not, it's not Adam and Eve. It's the thesis of the book seems to be like, we are all either Cain or Abel, and that's that, and Kathy's Cain. Um, right. So I do think it's a mistake to put her as Eve or Lilith or. No, no. I mean, a part of her, part of her villainy is actually her anti womanness, right? Right. Like she's always described with like, and, and like, the, like her lack of motherhood or lack of normal female characteristics. So. I, you know, her, her like using sexuality as power, it's not like a self empowering feminine no. sex positive version no, of no, that, no. you know, which, but if you took the actions of Kathy, right? Like if you, like if you were to separate her from this book, like if I were to write a movie of this book, you could make that possible with the very same story, right? Like the idea that like she is sort of stuck in this man's world where she doesn't have power except through sexuality, like, but that's not the story he's telling. No. no, that is, he is he has villainized her from the moment he introduces her, and he's like he just outright says like she is she is evil. And like, let's, she is, let's be real, like, she know. doesn't have a pattern. She does a little of everything. She yeah. does psychological torture. She burns houses down. She poisons people. She shoots people. She kills her parents. <laughs> Sleep, <laughs> sleeps with her husband's brother. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, and then also she can also sit still for hours in a catatonic state, planning your demise. <laughs> right. She bites Sam's hand. Right. Like she she literally hand. bites his hand. <laughs> bites the hand. Oh my yeah, god! I it's about so. That. It's yeah. I mean, it's but it, it's interesting. I don't. You know, I think. Yeah, I, I you know, and I, I I like what you were saying, Julia, and I I agree. Like with the Lee stuff too. You know, when you get into this race, it's so hard because like it, on, on one hand. You, 
Steinbeck is incredibly progressive. Um, it, you know, like he basically describes code switching yep. before people really knew what right. that was. Yeah, when, that, when Lee, lead, when Lee does it. his pigeon English mm-hmm. and, and when Samuel is able to like sort of call him out on it and say like, you, you're, you, I can tell that you're smarter than this and that you're, you're not as, as foreign as you're pretending to be. And that he can drop his accent and just be an intelligent person. And Sam is able to see him for, you know, as a, as a, as an American, essentially mm-hmm. as a human being. Uh, but then of course there's all this sort of essentialism and Orientalism also in the same right. book where it's like, you know, this sort of wise Chinese cook who's always serving and feminized. And there's a lot of stereotyping and it's like as much as self-conscious as Lee is about it, I don't know if the book is as self-conscious no. about it. And I don't know. So I don't know. I mean, on one hand, it's just kind of cool. To, I mean, I have to say, like, who was writing Chinese characters? You know, white, what white guys were writing a, about a character the same? So there's there's credit to be given to Steinbeck on, in some regard. Um, and I, you know, as a kid reading it, like, I loved the Lee character. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember, you know, just loving Lee Sam and and Adam like that dynamic and of course the the central conversation they have about Tim Schull, um was like so I mean that just loomed so large in my mind I think you know here I was reading a really long big book and and encoded within it is them interpreting a very important story right, right? like it's it's like what you by by if you like like discovering the inter, the ability to interpret a big book and within it they're interpreting a book and like finding meaning and it all comes down to like one word and one passage and if you can like unlock that then you have like a secret powerful meaning right. I loved that. Like that was so important to me as a kid, as a teenager that I, you know, that I might be able to like walk away with like wisdom from, from a novel or from the Bible or whatever. And like the fact that these three heroes, you know, if there are any heroes in the book, it's the three of them and it's their friendship. Um, but it's also just so cheesy the way that like the good people can just sense the badness of right. Kathy, or can they all just like the morality is so black and white and so heavy handed that it's like, I don't know. But but like I said, like I can't help but have a deep affection for this book because it does. Well, but it, 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 it I think it it's isn't. It isn't. Yeah, it, I think ahead. it's I, I think the power of it rests on like many books we've talked about that we read when we were younger on when you read it. So if you read this book when you're 16, 17 years old and the morality is literally so black and white in these situations that people are stunned when they find out the evil that that someone is. So, for instance, Cal takes his brother to see their mother. This is, you know, 500 pages into the book. And Aaron is so shocked by who his mother is that he essentially decides he cannot live anymore and enlists in the army to go yep. die in World War One rather than live with the knowledge of who his mother is. And it's like, bro, like... Relax. <laughs> come on. <laughs> like, that's your choice? Yeah. 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 So this is where I but, say... But, like, when you're 16, 17 years old, you're like, oh, my God. Like, that's, that's what you deep. have to do when... Right, it's when noble. Face, it's, it's dramatic noble, in the right. way that you are at that right. age. Right. It's the kind of dramatic swings. and Right, and also it's important to remember that Aaron and Caleb are, like, 17 years old when this is happening. And right. so it's like 
everything is life or death when you're 16, 17 years old. And so that makes some sense. But it also, like, everyone around them is like, well, but I understand he couldn't deal with that fate. You're like, what the fuck? Also, it's important to remember, and this is something I really want to, I want to get your guys' opinion on, like, Steinbeck himself is very self-important. And, and, and oh, he, he puts himself in you, the book! He's kind of, <laughs> but, I mean, all those chapters that are like, you know, and then... Uh, you know, then the country turned older again and the leaves change. And it's very, it's this like such a self-important tone that it's constantly letting you know, like big, important book right. with big, important things happening. And I am your guide for this big, important book. And I can tell you, and it's like, and he makes these proclamations, these pronouncements, you know, like when a man is wise, he often follows his path. To, you know, and it's like, what do you, you know, and half the time I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I, I get the like, and I feel like when I was a teenager, I just loved that because it was so like, yes, like guide me, oh wise author, oh, I'd be, godly. I'd be happy to, know. writer. Yeah. In human affairs of danger and delicacy, <laughs> yes. successful conclusion is sharply limited by hurry. So right. often men trip by being in a rush. If one were properly to perform a difficult and subtle act, he should first inspect the end to be achieved. And then once he had accepted the end as desirable, he should forget it completely and concentrate solely on the means. By this method, he would not be moved to false action by anxiety or hurry or fear. Oh, Very yeah. few people learn this. <laughs> See, that was like, for me, as like a kid reading, yeah, I was like, oh. yes. <laughs> Let me worship at the altar of yeah. Underline, underline. Yeah, exactly. like, essential truth. The rest of the <laughs> right. But, like, now I'm kind of just like, why do I need this? You know, I'm like, just just tell me the story. Because what Steinbeck is best at is good, good characters, like believable yeah. three-dimensional characters that are, you know, I mean, in this book, not so much. But other Steinbeck books are, he's so good at, like, uh, I guess he's really good at paradox. Like he creates characters that are full of paradox, usually not Kathy. And not, you know, in this book it gets, but like most of the time. And so when he, I guess like the, my favorite Steinbeck book I, I, I'm realizing is Cannery Row. And, and I think the reason is, is because it's a comedy because it's, it, he does that tone. Like he does that, like when a man gets drunk and he, but it's all about like, poor drunk people right you know it's like they're 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 like the they're hobos they're like the the they're, they're just the the degenerates of the salinas valley you know and like that when you when he applied that sort of highfalutin tone to poor people or the degenerates or the forgotten whether that's in of mice and men the poor workers grapes of rat it's like for some reason it like works in a way it's like seems appropriate mm -hmm. but in this book i just kept being like Dude, you're talking about supposedly your family. Like, right. why do I care? Like, you're talking, like, great. Selena's went through the seasonal change. Like, make me care, which she does to a certain extent, but I didn't need those chapters. Like, I, right. it's just such a weird tone. But then at the same time, it's kind of comforting and kind of fun to read, too. Yeah, and, like, fun. I don't know. It, is it, I mean, it was fun for you, too, Julia. Like, yeah. do you remember feeling that I way as a teenager? Love or Back to my great writer gone crazy. Yes. <laughs> I, at which I think is at, at, at his yeah. best at his best like this is the American tone with which I want I personally want to write like where he's yeah. saying things sentences that are simple 
but also go at a clip, but also feel meaningful. You know, like mm-hmm. they never feel thin, right. even though they can often be simple. So there's a mastery there that I think is fun. Like it's, and yeah. I mean, I find my writer brain being like, how did he put this together? Um, but I do agree with you that like, as you age, we're all kind of in the same age group at this point. Um and I feel like I underline totally different things. So instead of underlining those parts this time, I blocked out, I would consider this a perfect piece of scenic writing. Um, this is when Tom, one of the sons of Samuel, gets the telegram. Everyone's mm-hmm. been like, Samuel's going to die. Samuel's going to die for like 40 pages. So right. we all know what's they coming. They really set him off yeah. for a good send off. And he's been like, I'm ready to die. Yeah. <laughs> just say goodbye to everybody. Like, why don't you just go swimming with a brick? Even though, <laughs> even though that happened, these two tiny little paragraphs really, they made me cry. Um, okay. Uh, here we go. A, a kid comes and delivers a telegram. Tom started to call after him, and then he leaned wearily down and picked up the telegram. He sat in the sun on the be- on the bench outside the forge, holding the telegram in his hands. And he looked at the hills and at the old house, as though to save something, before he tore open the envelope and read the inevitable four words, the person, the event, and the time. Mm-hmm. Tom slowly folded the telegram and folded it again and again until it was a square no larger than his thumb. He walked to the house, through the kitchen, through the little living room, and into his bedroom. He took his dark suit out of the clothes press and laid it over the back of a chair, and he put a white shirt and a black tie on the seat of the chair. And then he lay down on the bed and turned his face to the wall. Mm-hmm. I mean, damn. I know. Beautiful. <laughs> so good. Beautiful. Um, but it also has that like heavy quality that you're describing, and I still like it. Like this... I see there's more of like a distance between the teenage self and this self that I am now, but I'm still like, yeah, I like a I like an intergenerational book. I like yep. a long book. I like a mm-hmm. book that tells me that it's meaningful. Um <laughs> and I wanna read more of them. Like I know there's a lot yep. of readers out there and I bet some of our, our listeners are these people who are like Give me the next intergenerational like, Thou- thousand characters. acres by Jane Smiley. Thousand acres is like the perfect, perfect Ooh, one. Okay. It's based based on King Lear. You know what I was also thinking about while reading this is like compared to sort of modern day intergenerational novels or family novels, like this versus the corrections. Give me this, hell yeah, every single day. <laughs> really? Yeah, really? yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Like I want, I want. Crazy high drama, you know. I, I want I I want huge misunderstandings. I don't want wealthy people upset about small lies. You know, yeah. I want well, that makes sense too because you also you also you really love Dickens. Yeah, I do. Falls into oh, that me category too. too. Like yeah, yeah. So you like you like a writer sort of guy like a you know a really yeah no a really well structured sort of like yeah it's it's so funny because like I no longer read that kind of book like that's mm-hmm. what I loved when I was younger but like you know I was thinking in comparison to somebody like Faulkner right, right. who does like big intergenerational stories but would never tell you why what you're reading is important right like that's like the last thing Faulkner does Faulkner instead draws you into the person's minutia of their brain 
in a moment where they were considering the intergenerational trauma. <laughs> and then you have to like work backwards and draw a family tree to figure out what the hell they're talking about right. to then realize there was incest in the past and this person's still trying to deal with it. Right. But you, he'll never say that to you. You know, whereas like Steinbeck, like, guides you grabs your hand and says come let's look at a valley and i'll tell you with a trauma this right. family had but, and yeah. like that's just a completely different approach and it's so funny because i i've moved completely far away from that and i feel like most critics have right like yeah. most american oh, sure. criticism has embraced the idea that we should that you don't you show don't tell right, right. to put it simply right but like this is so telly and i think it's not a coincidence that this is one of his most popular novels this is like one of the most popular american novels yeah. And it's like, it, I, I understand that because it, it's really hard for me to remember that people don't read that often. You know, like I read a lot um, and even I don't feel like I read that much compared to some people, you know, but but most people, most Americans these days don't don't actually they don't have time to read that much. They only get to read like a book a year or two books mm -hmm. a year. And I and I feel like when you when you're being told by an author, it's like, it's like great voiceover in a movie. You know, mm -hmm. it's like people talk about Shawshank Redemption. It's like this great movie or, you know, even like one of my favorites, Stand By Me. And I think part of the reason is that you're, or Forrest Gump, you're being told how to feel by a narrator. Mm -hmm. You're being told like, and this is why this scene was important. And then you get to see the scene and it's a well done scene with good acting or a good turn, but being set up or paid off by a, by a narrator, by a, a storyteller is super comforting and it makes it feel more epic than it might otherwise feel. You know, right. it, it's, a, it, it's like, and it's yes. something we kind of, we kind of shit on as critics often. Like, like, you know, I, I, I wasn't surprised to, to read when I was looking this book up uh, just before we recorded that, like, critics didn't like it at the time when it came really? out. Oh, yeah. Oh. It was completely, you know, just like everyone thought it was crap. And I can, I can see why. <laughs> well, but, but I, you know, lost popular. his mind. <laughs> so it does feel like a lot, though, right? right? Like you were saying, like, it feels like Steinbeck gave himself permission with yeah. this book. Like, he was Hell like, yeah. I'm going to write the most important book I've ever written. It's going to somehow relate to me and my family and, like, where I grew up. But I'm just going to go for it. Right. And, and, like, just, it's cool in that way. It's, like, it's great. So what yeah, you're, I, you know, I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm yeah, no, loving I'm, what you're saying because I feel like what we're grabbing onto here that is, like, out of vogue is confidence the confidence of the writer yeah like, absolutely yeah, dickens absolutely. had it twain had it and this book is coming out of those like he most certainly read those people mm, um yeah. and then it's also connecting i love that you brought up shawshank and stand by me because of course with the evil kathy stuff i'm like oh my god this is a connecting the dots to stephen king who mm -hmm. also right. is that cocky in his writing and is like yeah mm -hmm. totally evil 100 percent evil let's do this right, right. um totally and, and with but no he always has the mystical element right. or the magical element that sort of makes it yeah, okay and or, i think or, yeah. those super confident like part of the reason we hate this too is like this is of we all know what do those writers have in common they're like overprivileged so full of themselves mid-career white guys they're rich they're famous they can everything do anything. they write is going to get published so yeah everything they write so is the get confidence published. comes through but also that arrogance really really comes through too and now it's just like oh wow where's the humility where's the like you know coming at it from from a 
well thought through direction. Like they're like, hell no, I'm gonna write 800 pages and you're gonna love it, and I'm gonna win a, no- a Nobel Prize and be a bestseller because I'm John Steinbeck. <laughs> like yeah. he's yeah. Did nuts. Did he get those? Did he? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He got the Nobel. Yes. Oh, of course. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> I, I also wanted to add, <laughs> thinking about other works. Like, the morality thing. Let's go back to that. Because I feel like Mm -hmm. it's easy to say, like, oh, this book is so black and white. But when I think about morality lately with with writing, like, it's this is, like, most fantasy these days. And a lot of YA is grappling with Mm -hmm. morality. And this is a debate amongst my friends. Like, is Harry Potter just complete garbage specifically for the reason that, like, you're sorted into your category and that determines your whole personality type of thing. Right. And like Game right. of Thrones and everything in the fantasy world, like it's just addictive to be like, what house am I? What family am I? Totally. But this book kind of like it goes there for like 400 pages. But then I really do think it's arguing against it because Adam and Aaron suck. They're sad, annoying right. people. <laughs> Who are so good right. that they like can't function. So like yeah, their right. goodness is like a yoke around their necks. It's not something to aspire to. What the aspiration right. in this book is is even if you are marked by Cain or you are Cain, so you're marked by God or your own original right. sin or whatever. I don't know. Not right. not a theologian. <laughs> um, I don't know. I Who does both the marking? God and the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Cain gets the mark. Cain gets a mark because he killed his gets brother. Gets right. a mark, but. How does he get it? God just boom, okay. <laughs> like a lightning Zap. bolt. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the argue the whole argument of the Tim Shull thou mayest thing is like, yeah, the burdens on you guys, sons and daughters of Cain, like you still have to be good even though you're so fucking evil inherently. Yeah. <laughs> and right, I think that right. is like it's kind of turning from this like European feudal thing to a more American thing of like. Yeah, we all suck, but we gotta live together, right? But right, it, guys. It, but it's also yeah. coming. It's also coming down to personal choice. So, like Abra, you know, loves both men, and she's a good person, but she does mm. things that are that would generally be considered aberrant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but she's doing it by choice. You know, she's ruled by choice, so she doesn't easily fall into those categories that everyone else does. And then, by the same token, Adam, who is awfully good and all those things has lied to his children their entire lives so it's not like and neglected them and like only like only after they're like 11 does he ever have a conversation with them where he's like i'm interested in you what did you do today um so i mean yeah there, there are there are these clear binaries but it also like you said like the last third or so of the book also starts to like as the onset of modernity comes into the novel, the onset of personal choice and deciding who you want to be. So hoping for war so you make more money off of beans. Like yeah, that's right. th- th- that's not a good thing. <laughs> but by the same token, you're trying to make money. So for the listeners who haven't read the book, Cal invests in, in beans. Just go with it. And... Uh, <laughs> His father has lost all of his money on his Vakakta ice. And so Cal makes a bunch of money on beans. And he gives his father his profits off of the beans on Thanksgiving. 
And his father's like, I don't want this bean money, it's blood money, off of the dead soldiers who are fighting the war, that are buying the beans, etc., etc., etc. So all of a sudden, you get a lot of shades of gray. Like, Cal is, is I mean, it's this dumb idea. Like, I'm going to give my dad this money, and that will make things better. Um, but Cal is trying to make his father's life better. But he's doing it in a really fucked up way. I mean, several times during this book, I was just imagining, you guys know that old experiment where they, like, took the monkeys away from their moms and then they had to, like, cling to wire monkeys? You yes. guys know what I'm talking about? Yes. I was like, that's what this book is. It's just neglected yes. children <laughs> yeah. clinging to nothing. It's very... Right. Very sad in that way too. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm going back to my 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 high school essay on Instagram. <laughs> I've actually found it on my computer. Are you serious? No, but the problem is the problem is I wrote it in uh, Word Perfect. <laughs> yeah, so but it, I can only open it in a text. Hold on, um, hold on a minute. Why the fuck do you still have this on your I computer? I keep everything I write, man. I keep everything I write. <laughs> but I remember what it was all about. It was about fate, duty, and choice. And how the three oh interpretations God. of, of uh, the three interpretations of the the word or the passage, you know, like there's the thou thou shalt overcome sin, right. thou will overcome sin. So it's fate, thou duty, and then thou mayest is choice. And that was like my whole writer, my whole essay. You've wow. got I can't to read give this. us the first sentence of a writer strong high school paper. Yeah, I, I can't wait. For I'm the, trying. It's so hard. I Unfortunately, I think it was. The one I found, okay, the title East of Eden is an allusion to the Bible. Nice. And a, nice. Well done. Not, right. Miriam Webster defines I see the word a Abe, book as. Literary masterpiece is told. It's a retelling of the Cain and Abel story, I think. Throughout a sense of justified complexities within simple lives, the intricacy of true human emotion. What does that mean? To begin, that? A no- to begin the novel, we are introduced Rewrite to two fam- families. <laughs> Hamilton's in the ta- Trasks. Uh, oh, God. It's so hard to... Because I'm, like, looking at all these weird symbols and trying to, like, erase them. Wow. Well, uh, I mean, really, what I should emotions. find is the conclusion. Yeah. Because that's probably where I really drive home. Yeah. Like, let's get... Down let's get... Let's get I, what if what if writer's ending is just one word and it's excelsior? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Which also yeah. shows up in the book, readers, just FYI. Wow, I'm glad you pointed out that East of Eden is a biblical reference. Yeah, that's, yeah it's important to know. Yeah, you know. They don't make that clear in the book. I wonder what grade I was in. I was probably only a freshman or sophomore. I was I was pretty young. Oh here, the Hebrew word Timshul at the essence of the character becomes the key to, of this story. The essence of the character's struggle to achieve happiness. For they all strive towards achieving the understanding of Timshul, whether they are aware of it or not. Oh, when, so powerful. Yeah, <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Yeah. So that's what I, I mean, that's, it's probably just like the boilerplate essay that everybody writes. There's, there's nothing better than a high school essay that has the, the opening words, for they. Today, you know, just trying to make yourself sound more sophisticated, right? I was probably I, there's probably an ergo thrown in there at some point. Steinbeck chooses to eschew, as Carl Sandburg said on the back of the book, a moving crying pageant 
with wilderness strengths. I just remember. I just remember there were certain words that I completely miss would misuse, like plethora, or like anytime I had like the opportunity to use like my thesaurus and look up some complicated word for you know. I misused intrepid many. over and over again. Oh I thought wow! It, I thought it meant the opposite of what it meant. And so I would put it in essays, and the teacher would always be like, this word doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> and I'd be like, well, I, I know. I was just, just going to use it. My favorite teacher note would just be an underline and then a question mark. Like, yep. yeah. Julia, what, what's wrong with you? Really? <laughs> sure. That means. Are you sure? <laughs> I, I, I still use that in my when I'm making notes in my students' uh, yeah. novels or whatever. Are you sure about this line? Is this is this the line you want to use here? No, they funny. love that. That's a that's a that's 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 that UC education they're getting from me. Uh, so I think um, finally my my big thought about East of Eden is it's a must read. You have to read it. Wow, like, I'm surprised that's your takeaway. Yeah, like if you don't read it, you don't understand, um, like where every pot boiler <laughs> family saga like dallas and dynasty and everything on television they all come from the same shit like this is yeah. this is the giving tree of american <laughs> drama well you know what it, what it made me want to reread more than anything it was actually 100 years of solitude oh yeah um, that's another oh, oh. which is which is like to me a sort of in my mind right now and i want to reread it because i'm not sure but it's kind of a better version of a similar thing because in that case i feel like the the narrator is way less self-important but but no less guiding you know like they they they're still guiding you through this family history and there's magic and mystery yeah. but there's a sense of like self-consciousness about the storytelling that i feel like steinbeck really doesn't quite have no. you know he like, believes it's all important yeah yeah he believes it's all like and i think i think i think grapes of wrath is still his better novel for that reason is that in that he just let it kind of speak for itself a little bit more and then like i said cannery row i've read that book so many times and i love it and that's where this kind of voice is used to comic effect because he's elevating these you know degenerates and i just think that it's so much and it's a quick read but I still, I agree with you, Todd. Like, this is a must read for me. Like, I just, and I feel like, I, I, I totally get why people are like, this is my favorite book of all time. Like, like I, I, if somebody says that to me, I'll be like, yep, great. Yeah. I totally get it. Like, mm-hmm. because you feel like you've read all the books. Right. And you, you, <laughs> you, know feel like, I mean? you feel like you've read the Bible also. Like, well. Yeah. You feel like you've yeah. understood the Bible in a way. You've like walked away with like something. It's, it just has that epic quality. Mm-hmm. You know, it has that like, but like early on, I was definitely like, I was I was afraid that we were going to get on here and I was going to be bringing up my old Legends of the Fall reference, which is, it's a shitty movie, guys. If you think Legends of the Fall is a good movie, it's, oh, it's not. You've been fooled by epic movie making. It's about nothing. Try to understand what's that. But like this started to feel like that for me for the first like three hundred pages. Like oh my god, just another thing happened and it yeah, happened the, over here. The... Then and it's so like this is. But by the end, it totally won me over. It's not Legends of the Fall. It's actually a good book. And it's, do it's not, if you're a high school student, this is very important. Do not watch the movie and think you can bullshit your way through a paper on <laughs> East of Eden. You absolutely cannot do that, listener. Yeah, if you're here for part one of your bullshitting, you can use what we said. Right, and right. And you, you should plagiarize Ryder Thou only mayest. with caution. Yeah. Thou if you might want to start your paper with the words for they and then just figure out your own thought, 
But for God's sake, do not assume anything in the movie version happens in the book. Other than a traumatic stroke. There's that. Actually, you guys... Which is also Legends of the Fall. You guys have to watch the movie, though, because James Dean plays Cal as this slouching sort of love interest. He's Oh, he's like totally like a mid twentieth century guy in the middle. Oh of the yeah, early twentieth century. He wears the yeah. weird sweater, and he's just all pain and suffering and brooding. So overrated. I'm sorry. He, I'm, I'm, he's a I'm, ter- a, I'm a James he's a Dean detractor. Actor. He's a terrible he, actor. He's not terrible. He's just doing a Brando impersonation, and it's like, and it's just it was just the the, the rebel, th- and then he died. Yeah. I mean, he'd only made three movies, so he just became this like legend because he was just such a presence. Yeah. He, he does have. He, a presence, oh yeah, he's like, he's easy on the eyes. That's for sure. Yeah, he's a historical he's such an figure. amazing. Yeah, he yeah. he actually like he is kinetic to watch, but he is he cannot act. <laughs> no, no, he never could. Which is a problem. I mean, Rebel Without a Cause is such a weird movie. When you watch it again, you're like, "What? Like what? Why is this this classic? It's it's a truly strange movie." But, you know, it's just like hit that chord of like teenagers at the right time when Yeah. You know, and he also in the oh in East of Eden, he has um he has such a profound sexuality actually. Yeah. That yeah. that supersedes anything that you see in the movie. And that's yep. the thing that makes it feel transgressive. Like the whorehouse stuff doesn't feel transgressive at all because it touches on none of the stuff that's in the book. But he feels transgressive. And that's the thing that makes it feel sort of dangerous. So, that, I mean, it, it, it's worth watching for sure. I mean, and Ilya Kazan is a, is a great director. Um, but no real bearing on the book that, that we just read. Grapes of Wrath movie is actually really good, though. Grapes of Wrath movie is great. John Ford, classic. That's... I mean, it feels dated, but right. it's still, like, it actually tells the same story as the book well. It's really good. The weird thing, too, about the movie, Lee isn't in it, so that, that whole character is is gone. I mean, oh, not, terrible. None, of the, none of the important stuff is in it. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, because if it's focused on Cal, and, and then Sam's already dead. Yeah. It, like it's, it focuses on Cal and waiting. Aaron and Abra and, um, and Beans. <laughs> I, I feel like erasing the Chinese American character is the worst possible way you could deal with that very uncomfortable. Right. Subject. And they don't focus on on the most compelling character, the woman in this book uh, <sighs> at all. Like she's she's a, a seriously minor character throughout this entire thing. Racism and sexism on top of the existing racism and sexism is too much for me. <laughs> it's like a it's a lasagna of fucked upness. <laughs> Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening.